This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. A.J. Foyt down the main straightaway. The checkered flag is out. A.J.'s hand in the air. He is the winner. A.J. Foyt at Indianapolis has won his fourth 500-mile race. A very slow pull away at the south end of the pit. Bond, it has stopped, virtually stopped. And Al Unser picks up the lead of the race as Guerrero stops on the pits. Al Unser picks up the race. The crowd comes to a stand. Guerrero sits silently in the pits. And history is matched as the twin checkered flags come out for our second four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, Al Unser. But it is still Michael Andretti and Rick Mears with a hit toward turn one and Jerry Baker. Former co-rookie of the year, Michael Andretti. Now Mears goes to the outside and Rick may have him. They move into the short shoot. Rick Mears takes the lead. Rick Mears becomes the third four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, winning the Diamond Jubilee Edition, the 75th running of this great speed classic. Rick Mears has won the Indianapolis 500-mile race. They are sticking their way down the straightaway. Elliott on the high side and turn him on. Boyd, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castroneves. Elio takes the lead out of turn one. A two-car length advantage. Elio Castroneves trying to become a four-time winner out of turn four. Off turn four for the final time. Elio Castroneves comes to the start-finish line. Twin checkers out, and then there were four. Elio Castroneves joins the four-time winner's club. He wins the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Oh, fantastic call from last year. Mark James, IndyCar Radio, as heard here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan, and 93.1 WIBC. Hey, it's almost May, and we'll get it started in April tomorrow with a full field open test, or as full as it is at the moment, starting at 11 a.m. tomorrow. 32 cars throughout the day will hit the two-and-a-half-mile oval until 6 p.m. and then again Thursday from 10 until 4 all live commercial free on Peacock and on IndyCar Radio if you're driving they're going to have coverage over the next couple of days thanks for joining us as we get set for the month of May in Indianapolis and two more road course races to go there's already conversation we've talked about this on our program quite a bit over the last month how 2023 was already coming into play and a lot of other people are are talking about that now too and it's kind of made the rounds with our first report of a driver moving a a mild report but a report nonetheless for 23 we'll get into that some news today to cover and much more i'm kevin lee kurt cavis and with us sam rumsa in our indianapolis studios at the ms communications worldwide headquarters you can tweet us anytime at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We've got show-related news coming up a little later in the program, too. But, Kurt, first we talk about testing. Testing, we say, tomorrow at IMS. Well, I'm so ready for it. I know you are as well. Uh, today it was fun to see the transporters. You know, they were all parked across the street. They could uh, come into the facility, I think, about 11, somewhere around there, mid-morning for sure. And they started rolling in, and it felt like May. So the cars will be on track. We have 32 car and driver combinations. 
assigned for the Indy 500 at this point, and all of them will be participating, or at least that's the plan. And we'll have cars on track. I think you were saying that in an intro, but I was listening to your teases. I like your teases, by the way. Sometimes I have to think, okay, what is it we have to talk about that you have just teased? But uh, I'll catch up to speed pretty quickly. But cars on track scheduled at least at 11 o'clock tomorrow and then at 10 o'clock on Thursday. That'll be a little bit temperature dependent and weather dependent, but... We're going to run till 6 o'clock tomorrow. At least that's the schedule and currently scheduled till 4 o'clock on Thursday. So a lot of cars moving around the racetrack and a couple guys you might have heard of. A Formula One guy who has uh, limited experience on the oval, Romain Grosjean, and Jimmy Johnson, his first real foray into uh, competing with with other cars on the racetrack or at least a lot of cars on the racetrack, and that'll be fun to watch. We'll get into that and so much more tonight. And we'll get the chance to see Juan Pablo Montoya again back at Indianapolis trying to become a three-time winner. He's one of the one really interesting, quote, one-offs, although he's a two-off. He's also going to be doing the road course race at IMS in early May. We saw the Aero McLaren SP liveries unveiled. They've made a nice uh, tradition of that to start the season and for the month of May to give us a little bit extra conversation and for fans and broadcasters, we like that all three cars are different. They're definitely unique. Well, they are different, and they definitely are unique. They have a – you'll be able to see those cars from about 10th Street. Uh, they've got a patchwork, we'll call it, of matching colors. Uh, some have more black than others. That Carolina blue is what I call it. I don't know if that's the official name of the color. And then some papaya orange. And depending on which car it is, uh, it either goes like black, blue, orange, or blue, orange, black, or white. You know, it's it's got a mixture of, of designs. All those designs by a company, a clothing brand company called Undefeated, which, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, it, it was pretty deep into the... Uh, into the press release that uh, Juan Pablo's cousin was a part of the design process. So he had a, a little mm. special oomph into the uh, how it looked, and I'm sure he'll be proud to have uh, been behind the wheel of that car when it's, when it's all said and done. So really cool that that color scheme is out there. You won't miss it. Uh, you may have trouble deciding if that's, you know, the five car, the six car, or the seven car, but the easiest way is the Montoya car, the number six car, is predominantly white on the nose. The other yep. two don't have have as much white, so I think you'll spot that one quicker. The five and the seven of Pato Award and, and Felix Rosenquist have significantly more black in them, and so you have to kind of look a little, concentrate a little bit harder for that. Well, here's the way to distinguish them, the olive green which is covering oh, yeah. the entire nose section of the seven car of Rosenquist. Now, there's a little bit on the side pod, so they're not matching. This is a, a different look where one side pod on each of the cars is opposite the others. It's actually um, you know, kind of an idea I've had to try to have more than one primary sponsor on Jackson's car. And you know who gave me that idea? It was Robert McGinnis, who drove in Indy Lights. I looked at his car last year, and he would have – one primary on the left side pod and another on the right. And so that's a pretty good idea. So yeah, you just get a picture from one side, get a picture from the other side. So that works well. But these are not matching, which is pretty rare. So uh, 
Montoya's car is light blue on the left side, papaya orange on the right. Rosenquist is papaya on the left, light blue on the right. And then Pato has the olive green on the right and papaya on the left. And then they all have different distinguishing noses in, in the entire front section of the car. Black for Pato, olive for Rosenquist, and white for Montoya. And you'll get to see them, I assume. Do, do we think that these will be in action tomorrow? Paint it up this way? I think way? so. Yeah, I good. think so. Um, I didn't notice that uh, the olive color, so that's interesting. I thought at least my glance at it, uh, the uh, color scheme on the 5 and the 7 on the nose looked pretty similar, but maybe I'm starting to develop a little color blindness. So you probably saw the first image that I did because I, I saw that. Maybe it was in the uh, release, in the email that we got. Let me go back to that. Uh, and I didn't make notice of it. When I Now that I know, I can see the difference, but I think that's the picture that you probably looked at but then it was going through social media. I saw some comments about the olive and then the pictures on social media that Errol McLaren SP posted. It's much more distinguishable that this is a stark difference. But yeah, at first glance, that olive green just looked like a dark shade. But I'm curious of what it's going to look like in person. So, you know, this is like the first day of the season again tomorrow to get a chance to see the way everything looks. I know some teams have really asked those of us that know not to say what they have planned for tomorrow. So that tells me that that some people have some plans to roll some things out. Now, one of the embargoes that I was told about, I just saw their sponsor tweet a picture of the car 15 minutes ago. So I guess that one is probably lifted, but we'll leave it up to them to deal with that. But but I do think there are some things planned that haven't been announced for tomorrow. So that'll be fun to see. And we've so got time was, to discuss it, by the way. Yeah, we do have. Uh, <laughs> was that a Joseph Newgarden car? Was that the car we're talking about? That's talking the one about? I saw that we were yeah, told I saw not that to photo. mention until tomorrow. That That's well, one of several we've been told not to mention. And so we don't have to mention it, but I can say this. I saw that photo. And again, I didn't study it closely. It just moved here in the last few minutes. But that's a good looking race car. Uh, it has a similar a similar look to to some other cars in the past, but uh, that's that's a good looking race car. So I'll be interested and eager to get the story behind that tomorrow. We'll get a chance to, I, I assume, see Tony Kanaan tomorrow, who is in a fifth Chip Ganassi racing entry. And one of the things that I'll be looking into tomorrow is to try to find out who's staffing these cars. We're not going to get through all the names, although we do have, you know, seven hours. So maybe I will, <laughs> but, but I want to see who, who, I don't know who the engineer is. I don't know who the strategist is. And that's been a major concern for teams is, you know, these are, these are race potential race winning entries. Tony Kanaan is a driver, the engineering support that you're going to get from Chip Ganassi racing. Can you then find the rest of the staff? to support a potential race-winning entry, and I'm sure that's going to be a challenge because, as I've mentioned many times, the teams that have sports car programs don't want to use their sports car personnel because they're busy, not just with the IMSA season, but in preparation for new cars for 2023, and that's one of the major reasons why Team Penske, I've said many times, can't field an extra entry even though i was one of those that you know last fall and through the winter was throwing that out would they just roll out a car for ryan hunter ray or somebody uh if needed but as i've talked about for the last couple of months 
That's just not really an option. It's all hands on deck for Porsche, a major partner with Team Penske in the sports car program. Ganassi feels the same way with Cadillac. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan probably feels the same way with BMW uh, and on and on down the road. Meyer Shank racing and, and so forth. So that's getting on a different tangent is one of the challenges on that front. And that will lead us to some news from today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, I think we both said on this show we didn't really expect, unfortunately, Peretta Autosport to be able to make it happen for the Indianapolis 500 this year. And we got a little more clarity and we got some good news out of that front that there is something coming with Peretta Autosport and Simona Di Silvestro. So it's a three race deal. It'll be a road course, street course uh, endeavor later in the summer, starting in June at Road America. They will also race at uh, Mid-Ohio in July and then at Nashville on the street circuit after that. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting, uh, let's see if there's anything else I need to clean up about that. So that's that's the uh, program and, and the schedule. They could run some more races. But what I found interesting was Beth Peretta said she basically knew last summer that that this issue relative to, for example, Team Penske, uh, they informed uh, they informed her that, you know, they wouldn't have the personnel because all their people would be committed. So th- she's known that 10 or 11 months now. So, mm-hmm. you know, as we've been thinking it through, you know, word within the select few that needed to know, uh, the word was out that Team Penske was capped at uh, three cars for this year's Indianapolis 500. So she began... The people that needed to know knew, yeah. Correct, correct. And so she began looking at other options, and she, uh, in part based on a recommendation from Chevrolet, which was uh, her partner last year in the Indy 500, that perhaps she should work with and have a technical alliance with Ed Carpenter Racing. And so that was kind of the surprise of the day, if you will. There were people speculating how her program would come together. Obviously, she doesn't have a built-in race team with a race shop and a transporter and and cars and so forth. In fact, she said the car they used last year that Simona drove, the number 16 car, was was rented from Hunko's Hollinger uh, Racing. So, so they had to... Uh, they hooked up a partnership with, with Ed Carpenter Racing. So essentially, Ed Carpenter would run uh, three cars at the events that I just mentioned. And again, going back to what Beth knew uh, about this time last year, and maybe, uh, I guess, midsummer at the, at the latest, is that uh, she knew Ed Carpenter Racing was already committed at its maximum for this year's Indianapolis 500 by fielding three regular cars the two full-time cars that they were going to have plus a car for Ed Carpenter. And so essentially the inn was full at Ed Carpenter racing. So she's known that for, for a good bit as well. And so then it was just a matter of, you know, how do you put together a deal? And one of the things she talked about today is that they want to grow into a full-time team doing an Indy 500 again, while important and certainly would, would have been preferred they wanted a and program, meaning if they were going to do uh, Indy, but they wanted it and other races. And she had the other races essentially organized, but, you know, she wasn't able to put the and part together with Indy. And so they'll run at least these three races. They've talked about or hinted that they might do more, but I would say this would be a nice, a nice uh, get up to speed for the team 
uh, keep in mind that a lot of those, most of those crew members and people who are on that staff uh, were not IndyCar participants as of, you know, about February 1 last year. They were all new to the sport. Uh, they, they learned the sport very quickly. They were trained by Team Penske. And uh, Beth said that those crew members, many of them will return from last year's program, and they're going to spend, or they have been spending the last few weeks, and, and as we run up toward Indy, working with the pit crews at Team Penske to kind of get get their sea legs back, so to speak, with relative to making pit stops. Although these pit stops will be in the opposite direction, being road course races uh, coming up later in the season. It makes perfect sense with that Carpenter racing because they already have the infrastructure, at least for part of the time, running a third car. They just ran a third car for the first time outside of Indianapolis, wasn't it ever? I think the first time ever outside of the 500 at Texas. They'll do it again for the 500. I don't think we know yet. I've not asked Ed if he's running all the oval races. I suspect he is, but you know, they reserve the right to change their mind. Do we have a confirmation on that, that he is? I think he announced that they would run, he would run all the oval races. Okay, So I I believe he's good for those. So what that means is that there already are crew people in place, at least some that are doing a few races that might be willing to do three more, and that means they'll be up to speed. So that makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about the 500 versus doing three, maybe even four races. I think Beth spoke today about, eh, there's there's a decent chance of adding another one somewhere along the road. From a development standpoint, from the team standpoint, it does make more sense to do other races. From a business standpoint, from finding a sponsor, it's almost always much easier to find someone, even if they have to pay more, to do the Indy 500 than to do three other races. The Indy 500 will have, and that depends on what the business is. But if it's just eyeballs, it's an easy decision. The Indy 500 will have more eyeballs than the other three combined. But that gap is dwindling. A few years ago, if it was a cable race, you might be looking at 350,000 people watching a non-Indy 500 race on cable. Now we've seen the average is a little closer to a million because there are very few races on cable. But the point being, it's a little bit more of a challenge to find the sponsorship. Uh, But I think for the team aspect, if you do find a sponsor that is more interested in something else, good for you because you can learn more about becoming a full-time team. You can develop more because they're developing an entire team out of this. That's more beneficial and it's possible that the partner might have more of an interest in activating in three different markets uh the 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 primary sponsor by the way announced is kiwi company they develop engaging hands-on projects and activities to spark a child's curiosity and creativity Uh, i think i saw the word steam mentioned so it's kind of an extra portion of the stem program science technology math what else am I forgetting? But but engineering, engineering and, and some different activities there. So maybe they find more value in the extra access that you're getting there. But that, that's just really interesting. If people are interested in a budget standpoint. It's similar, I think it's probably a little more to do the Indy 500. It just depends on who you're doing it with. And right now. 
I don't know what the price is to do the Indy 500. I know what it normally would be, but we all realize there's a situation where they need to find a 33rd entry. So the price might have gone down and maybe the series is helping make up the gap, but normally it would still be a little less of a commitment. You know, I've heard a lot of times somewhere in the $100,000 range, maybe it's more like $200,000 this is what it costs, depending on who's doing it to do a, a one-off weekend. Whereas for the 500, it's somewhere between 600,000 and some teams are going to charge 1.5 million to do the 500. Well, keep in mind, and you can use this as a kind of a gauge, is that the Road to Indy Scholarship for the Indy Lights champion, when it was set up, was an option. We're either run the Indy 500 or run three other races. And so at least that was the value uh, comparable, at least in terms of, of what they thought the budgets were going to cost. So that was that was kind of the original concept of that scholarship. So, you know, I, I think the other thing is, you know, you ask about the Indy 500 and why didn't she choose the Indy 500? I think she's been on this plan for multiple races uh, for quite some time and saw the benefit of working with Ed Carpenter Racing uh, and Ed's team would be full. So she'd have to switch to another team if she wanted to do the Indy 500. And remember that it's only kind of become clear in the last, what, three or four months, three months probably, that there might only be 33 cars. If there were 35 or 36 cars, remember, it was a challenge last year with that program to make the Indy 500. And I think if if you had the benefit of knowledge that you have today, that there might only be 33 starters, perhaps that makes the decision a little different if you were making that last fall. And in terms of, you know, I know I won't get... I know we're not going to get bumped from the Indy 500. We put all our eggs in the basket here for the Indy 500, and we don't make the race. I mean, that's a that's a that's a hard pill to swallow for a for yeah. a team that's trying to grow. Or do you take the safe way and know that we're going to compete in three races, uh, and we're going to make those races, and and we're going to have a platform to build on for the future? The other the other little tidbit from the event today is that Simona, who's in Switzerland at the moment, will be at Detroit, which will be the race before Road America and begin to get integrated with the team. And they may still be able to to work a test day for her. Uh, I'm, you know, you, you don't know how that, you know, works from a league standpoint. Um, you know, does that count as an Ed Carpenter test? Uh, you know, they'll, they'll work through those details, but uh, hopefully they can get her in a car at least today in those maybe 10 days to two weeks before uh, they go to Road America. So let's speak to that for a moment. I hope that happens. And you know how highly I regard, and I think anyone else that's paying attention regards Simona Di Silvestro. But it probably should be pointed out to not really judge her on results at the beginning. This is going to be massively difficult to be competitive one, you've got a new program. Now, it's a, an established team, so it's not a new team. So it's run by Ed Carpenter Racing, but there's some challenges there integrating the new people. But remember how difficult it was for Elio Castroneves, who had won 30 races, to come back after not being in an IndyCar on a road course for a couple of years. Remember how difficult it was for Juan Pablo Montoya, for Oriol Servia. Name whoever you want that hasn't been running regularly for beyond a year 
And for Simona, we're talking close to a decade on a road course in an Indy car. Yes, she's been doing high-level road course racing, but not in prototypes, not in Indy cars. This is a massive challenge. And, you know, frankly, if she can beat a few people, that's amazing because I think this first race or two is going to be really, really difficult. If you gave her a full season, if, if she started the season, I have no doubt that Simona would be what she was before, but it's going to take a little while and three races is not enough time to, I think, really be able to show what she's capable of. So I hope everyone understands that. Yeah, I, I think the other element is, could be interesting, and I'd like a driver maybe to answer this, but Road America might be the easiest of those three venues for her to go to first. Uh, Makes it's sense, a, yeah. It's a stand on the gas. It doesn't have quite the maybe the techni technical nature that Mid-Ohio uh, or even the street race in, in uh, Nashville uh, I think Road America might be an easier place for her to make her debut. It almost would be better if they were kind of in other in in reverse order. Uh, and and Road America was just now her third race in the bunch, and she felt comfortable again with the team and the car and the and the series and so forth. But but I think Road America will be. I think uh, you know. Look, we were hoping or thinking or expecting Elio to be competitive in the first five to eight positions. And that may have been too much to ask last year. I don't think there's any designs that Simona is going to be in the top 20, even with 26 or seven or eight cars, you know, it's going to be easy. Relatively speaking, it's going to be easier to, for her to make uh, a good showing than maybe it was for your expectations of Elio running with, with Meyer Shank and, you know, an established team. And, you know, you're just thinking Elio can be in the top, you know, in the Firestone fast six and then, and then run in the top 10. And I mean, we, we talk about this week in and week out, how good the top 15 is in this sport, not just the drivers, because I think the driver talent is, is pretty consistent through the field, but, but you mix driver talent with experience, with team experience and adding in engineering support, that's what makes it incredibly difficult if you're trying to break into the top 15 versus, you know, trying to trying to go from 26th or 7th up to maybe 23rd or 2nd. So who's going to be the 33rd and maybe even the 34th Indy 500 entry? We'll give you the latest guesses, and really that's all it is at this point, but I think there's some educated guesses in there, and we've got it, at least some of it, I think, pinned down pretty good, but... Do we know all the details? We'll flush it out. Flesh it out. Flush, flesh. I forget, Kurt. You're a, you're a writer. I got this wrong. I know a few years, a few weeks ago. <laughs> well, let's just flush it's it flesh. out. Flesh. No, I don't I think so. I like. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking me it into it, but way. I, I, I'd go with flush. Let's go with flush. Uh, I. I think it's the other way, and I, this was just explained to me, so we'll clear that up, too, coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Tony Canard, and you're listening to Trackside. Testing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway the next two days on IndyCar Radio and live on Peacock. Hope you can join us. So the plan tomorrow is veterans on track from 11 until 1, rookies and refreshers from 1 until 3. So this is very similar to the opening day of practice in May at IMS. 
and then all available on track from three until six. We'll have to go back to the notes uh, to see who still needs to complete rookie orientation. Some, I remember the Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson test. They both got very close, uh, but I think they can finish up ROP with other cars on track. What do you remember from this, Kurt? No, that that's exactly right. Uh, they can run with the veterans tomorrow. So essentially, um, you know, they they are considered veterans, even though they're not. Uh, the rookies that still have have work to do tomorrow: Kyle Kirkwood, Devlin DeFrancesco, Callum Islet, David Malukas, and Christian Lundgaard. And then, from a refresher standpoint, you have Sage Karam, uh, Marco Andretti, and Juan Pablo Montoya. Uh, you know, Sage Karam's Dryon Reinbold teammate is Santino Ferrucci. He can practice with the veterans in that early session tomorrow because he ran Texas. Mm -hmm. So uh, he ran Texas in place of Jack Harvey. So, uh, yeah, Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson will be all skating from the get-go. And then you have a full uh, session of cars, all cars on track, all of them that at least pass the the refreshers of the ROPs can, they can participate from three until six. And that's when IndyCar radio will be on the air. IndyCar radio okay, is not on you. the air the whole, the whole day. They're on from three Slackers. to six tomorrow. I'm kidding. Well, Mark Jaynes has <laughs> to teach school. Um, and then, and then Thursday they're on all day from 10 until four as, as Peacock is. Uh, I think you mentioned this at the top, but you can watch all the action on Peacock all 13 hours and, that's four ninety nine. If you haven't signed up, you can cancel at any time, but you get all races, practices, qualifying sessions, not only live, uh, but on demand and for from a replay standpoint. And I think there was one more bit of information to share there. Uh, interestingly, that all the international uh, fans will be able to watch as well from, from what's known as IndyCar Live. Uh, they will be able to watch uh, tomorrow's session like the rest of us. I've seen there's been a development. I haven't really looked into it because I'm not going to be international anytime soon, but I did gather that uh, a nice option has been created for international fans. So happy to hear What's important. Uh, about that. It's important. You know, people will listen to this show between now and, and uh, when cars are on race on the racetrack and, and they know that, or they will know that they can uh, at least find it somewhere in their, their part of the world. So, uh, all good stuff, and, and we're looking forward to the next couple of days. Eight former winners in the field so far, seven rookies. Of course, Jimmy Johnson's the headliner, and I think the one person that, that we will all be watching very uh, closely over the next uh, couple of days. A little bit of inside minutia. The rookies get three extra set of tires. The drivers uh, taking the refresher get a couple extra sets, so it's good for them to to go out and make some laps and, and – uh, and get their feet acclimated again. I looked at some numbers with ages, and this is a really interesting time where you have so many, we think, future stars, but very young drivers. And then you have, as you mentioned, eight former winners. You've got a lot of living legends still active. So you've got five that are 45 or older. Kanan is the oldest at 47. Then Elio, Jimmy Johnson, Juan Pablo Montoya are all within a few months of each other. Takuma Sato is now 45. You've got three more over 40. And I think they're all over 41 in that group. Um, so eight in the 40-plus range. 
You've got six, 22 or under right now. That number will dwindle by race day, but there will still be nine, 23 or under by race day. This will be the first time Colton Herta will, if he wins, not become the youngest winner ever. He finally will be older than Troy Rutman was at 22 years and 80 days when he won. Was that in 52 when Rutman won? Yeah, yeah. 52. Uh, so VK, Malukas, and Lungard would all be younger than Troy Rutman if they win the race. Herta and Devlin DeFrancesco are 22, but older than Rutman. Pato Award turns 23 on May 6th. Kyle Kirkwood is still 23. Same with Callum Eilat. Santino Ferrucci is still 23 years old and won't turn 24 until after the race on May 31st. So you got nine really young guys. You know, it used to be if you were under what? This is going way back. But if you're under 27 or 28 years old, that was pretty young. Now we've got nine that are 23 or under, and we've got 845 uh, and up. So there's some numbers. So when you're talking about the you're talking about the Troy Rutman record, I mean it's pretty pretty easy. I think I was listening to your math, but I was also trying to come up with. I have another point to make about that, but it's pretty much like one in six drivers in this field can break Troy Rutman's record or some basic note like that. I mean, there's that many young drivers who would be younger than Troy Rutman uh, if they were to win the race. I mean, that's an astonishing figure. What I was going to say was, in addition to that many drivers in their 40s, I mean, we really at this point last year would have expected that Ryan hunter Ray and Sebastian Bourdais would be in this field. And that would have just True. added even more to it. Uh, so it's it's really staggering uh, kind of the dis- – maybe not the discrepancy in age that's always been a case or at least it it for years was was the case certainly through the 70s and the 80s you had a lot of a lot of older drivers uh when you were looking at Foyt and Rutherford and John Cock and and so forth competing uh and and Big Al of course and and Bobby before him uh but you know you have uh you have quite the discrepancy and we just haven't seen as much of that lately in addition to Dario, uh, in addition, not Dario, um, Montoya going for a third, Sato also going for a third, yep. uh, which is pretty significant. And of course, the story of the month, if it's not Jimmy Johnson competing in his first Indy 500, will be uh, Elio Castroneva is going for a record setting fifth. And this, this really begins that pursuit of that. Uh, I can't wait for everybody to see the program. The Indy 500 program obviously features Elio. Uh, Grace Keller from from our staff has has done that. It is her first program uh, creation in terms of the cover, and she's done a terrific job. and And I think it's going to be a real collector's item. Elio is going to love it, and uh, I can't wait for everybody to get a, get their hands on the Indy Five Hundred program for twenty twenty two. You know, speaking of going for a fifth, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when I ran out of things to watch during. A workout, I put the YouTube broadcast of the 93500 on, and there were so many, many things I loved about that telecast that are reminders of that's really good television. The one thing that surprised me, and it's not that it was right or wrong, um, but there was virtually no mention of Al Unzer going for a fifth Indy 500. 
And in 92, had he finished like third or fourth or something like that? He had had a good run. I know he wasn't, you know, maybe that took some good fortune to end up there. But he got off sequence in that race and I think led. He was certainly running up front for a while in that race. And I was just a little bit surprised that in what I saw of the pre-race, and I think I saw all of it, it wasn't mentioned, maybe just mentioned in passing. And maybe that's to their credit because, you know, we as broadcasters sometimes tend to overhype things. But I guarantee I would have been screaming that a guy going for his fifth 500 unprecedented is leading the race what a story this would be just in the side on that front all right well i think part of that is he had he had you know gone for a fifth several times before that correct uh, it wasn't that was the first not time. his first yeah. it wasn't his first time yeah i wonder i don't know i haven't watched the 77 race in a while i gotta guess though that that was a storyline every year from 1968 on, Foyt going for a fourth 500. Maybe, maybe not, but it's a different topic. Um, all right, time to flesh out who's going to be the 33rd car in the Indianapolis 500. By the way, today, Mark Miles at the Peretta Autosport and Simone Di Silvestro press conference to announce that she'll do three races later on this year said... I think we can pretty much guarantee there will be 33 cars in the field, and I wouldn't rule out one more beyond that. So I'll discuss for a moment because I've been one on the record saying there's not going to be 34. So I will readily admit that Mark Miles is much more in tune with the possibilities and what's happening than I am. I have a sense, but he's getting direct information. So I will take what he says as real and a possibility. However, I still don't think I, I'm going to say, I'm telling you there's a chance, but I don't think there's a very good chance. And here's, here's why I think what Mark is saying is the truth because some way, somehow a 33rd is going to come together and it would never be confirmed. But I suspect if it had to involve IMS, IndyCar, helping out financially, finding a sponsor, doing something to get someone over the hump, that will happen if it needs to happen. What I don't believe would happen is them helping in any form or fashion beyond that 33rd. So the 33, that's why he can guarantee a 33rd. One, because he's talked to people and knows how close they are. And two, it, it just it needs to happen and it will happen. And what he also can't guarantee is there are several entities still trying to put something together. And several are saying, we're right there. We're close. We're just waiting for someone to pull the trigger. So that's the scenario. If one of these, and I would, I would frankly call it, in all honesty, for some, probably a Hail Mary. But if they do find the partner who has expressed some interest to say, you know what, we'll fund this. That's how a 34th comes together. And I think Chevy would go ahead and do two more engines. You're not going to get Honda to do a, 30, a 33rd and a 34th. So there is a scenario. Even all of that I just said, I'm not sure that Chevy's going to be too keen on that because all that's going to happen is you're going to bump somebody else and you're potentially 
I don't know. I don't know. Would, would Chevy shut that down? Maybe, maybe not. I think there's an entity out there that has been told they've got an engine lease if they can put it together. I don't know if that offer still stands. I would think there would have been some sort of deadline on that unless they've collected the money. And I kind of doubt that they have. So in a roundabout way, what Mark said, I think is correct. But I believe what I said is the way it's going to ultimately go. I don't think there will be a lot of enthusiasm to make a 34th happen for reasons that we discuss on and on. Now, for the 33rd, um, and, and we talked about this during the break. I think we should explain some more because I think you you were on it with why isn't Beth Peretta just combining the partners that she has and the money she's raised with, say, Hunko's Hollinger? Yeah. Most of us think that that's where the, the car is going to come from. They may not be funding it, but the physical car is going to come from Hunko's Hollinger because they have the most cars. They're a one-car operation. Who's paying for it? I don't know. Well, why couldn't Peretta just pay for it and then put Simona in the car? And as you explained before, hey, two months ago when this is being hashed out, it did seem like there could be a 34th or 35th. So it may have gotten to a point where we've got to make a decision and we can't we can't run the risk of losing this partner for the long term if we get bumped. And we can't promise that we're going to make the race. So let's just do this. And then a third, as you mentioned, we'd like to be with Ed Carpenter. And, and they can't do it. They, they're not going to run a fourth car. So our best option is let's go ahead and lock this in. If they knew now, if they knew then what we know now, that there's very unlikely to be a 34th, then they might have gone and taken that budget and tried to make something work for the 500. So I think that makes some sense. Yeah, I do too. I think that's the way okay. it goes. All right. So we'll get into the other possibilities coming up in a little bit. We've got show news for the month of May and the news of the day is coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden and you're listening to Trackside. Looking for fun this Saturday night? Look no further than the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. Saturday nights at the Speedrome feature family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and a lot of fun. Always capped off by the world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight. Adult tickets are only $10. Kids eight and under are free. The Indianapolis Speedrome at the corner of Brookville Road and Kitley Avenue, one mile west of I-465 on Indy's southeast side. For more information, go to speedrome.com. They bring us our news of the day. Kurt, what is the news of the day? It is the best kind of news possible. And that isn't to say that Beth Peretta's team joining the IndyCar Series for three races isn't great news. But the birth of a, of parents parents having... A child is great news. And Joseph Newgarden, the two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion, uh, had their little boy today. His name is Coda, as in Circuit of the Americas, only it's spelled with a K. (laughs) Coda Nikolai. And I I did a little research because I thought, well, that's not the names that you hear on a regular basis in Nashville, Tennessee. Coda is a Japanese 
has is a Japanese word for happiness or good fortune. Okay, so Coda is good fortune, and Nikolai, you know, Joseph is very Scandinavian, has a Scandinavian background, and that is a Scandinavian name, which stands for people of victory. So we have Ooh. good fortune and people of victory in the name. This kid is going to be a star. We can pencil him in for the championship and the Indy 500 in future years. So anyway, congratulations to Joseph uh, and, and Ashley for, uh, for the birth of, of their first child, a, a boy who's going to be a, a fine young race car driver based on his name. Joseph is way too smart to let his kid get into go-karts or anything else. I think he's going to be a golfer. I bet he does. I bet he does. More often than not, it, the, the way it works is they are exposed to it and they keep asking and eventually the parents relent. That's kind of how it works. So that's our news of the day. Indy's newest dirt track is Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. And in two weeks, Sunday night sprint car racing kicks off the 2022 season as the Jonathan Bird sprint cars take to quarter mile bull ring for a special $5 fan appreciation night. $5 general admission kids eight and under are free circle city raceway is family friendly, great food, free parking and outrageous fun. That's May 1st at circle city raceway at the intersection of 465 and 74. For more information, go to circlecityraceway.com. All right. We get in more of the field of 33. We can deal with your Twitter questions and comments. I've got several that have come in with hashtag trackside over the last week. We will address and we'll tell you where, if you're so inclined, you can come and see us in the month of May. That's all coming up. Trackside 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, let's get to it. 33rd entry. What are the options? Uh, it starts with uh, Hunko's Hollinger Racing, if that's where you're uh, expecting me to lead you, because even Ricardo Hunko said in a story, I believe that was Marshall Pruitt's story. Let's see if I have that. And he said, we firmly expect we'll be the, be the one uh, providing the entry. Uh, his exact quotes was, uh, looks like we, we might be the only option. So what I said to IndyCar is, I need as much time as possible. Unfortunately, this is a last-minute deal, and honestly, like I've said every time, I don't want to do it that way. I said to them, I said to them, find someone else. And if I'm the only option and there are no other options for us to have the 33 cars, then we will make it happen. Brad and I only do this because I always wanted to help IndyCar because they have been so good to us, but we are the last option for this, not the first. So I think I said that on the air last week and the week before, that it's going to have to be him. I know I've told people that, and I'm pretty sure we got that on the air because I just couldn't find any other scenario. Now, what I don't know is how it's being funded. My best guess, and I've got some connections there, but I didn't have a chance to call them today and, and maybe by design because it's not done. They don't want to have to lie to me. And they're not ready to publicly share that information. But my best guess would still be Stefan Wilson and Cusick Motorsports. They've had budget. They've publicly said they've had budget. Now, they're using some of it on the endurance sports car program to run in GTD. 
But I think if they knew, they were almost certainly not going to be bumped. Mark Miles brings up, you know, there's still that out there. But I think those that are really looking into it are going to find that's highly unlikely at this point. So that's my best guess. If not them, could somebody, you mentioned Ryan Hunter Ray a while ago. I can't rule out Ryan being in the race. Um, If someone else is putting a package together, if it's not Cusick and they're not attached to a driver, then I think Ryan is the direction that you're going to go if you're going to hire a driver. And he was hanging around with the team at the Texas Motor Speedway test helping out Callum Eilat. Now, that may just be pure coincidence, but there's at least some connection there. And I think the team has shown well. I think they've shown they're competent. Is it a winning car? I doubt it. But I, I don't think it's going to be bad. And if you're you know, talking about it's 33, uh, then you're not going to run the risk of being bumped. So it just depends on you know what, what it means to you. And as a driver... You're a professional driver. What's Ryan Hunter Ray's price? Young drivers oftentimes have essentially driven for free or for meal money. I don't think Ryan's going to do that. So if this is being done as meagerly as possible, that's a little bit more of an obstacle because I think Ryan Hunter Ray is going to want to be paid a fair wage to do this. So can they make that happen? Well, if Ryan Hunter Ray's your driver, you're going to get a decent amount of attention. I still think if Stefan Wilson's your driver, you're getting a decent amount of tension. He's a good story. He was leading the race late a few years ago. Um, he's done well in, in the couple of sports car races this year. So that's all I got. I don't know who else it could be at this moment. Could could, could the Marathi group, Will Marathi, that's been putting something together and has raised some money. Could he, could it be all of these groups that are trying to raise some money? Could they all pool their sources together? Remember a few years ago when one of the extra Foyt cars had about five co-owners, Brian Bellardi was one of them. One of James Dave, actually Brad Hollinger was one of the men on that car that now is with Hunkos. And that's essentially that how that happened. Five co-owners came together to bring the budget to be an entrance co-co-co-co entrant in the Indy 500. Maybe it's something like that. Yeah, I think it starts and ends with with the Hunkos car, and, and I think that's kind of where it ends. I, I just don't see... I'd love to have a real conversation with Dale Coyne on why you know they didn't have extra cars. I don't believe he was offered an engine. So I think that's I mean, that concern. has to be the only, the only explanation for that. I, I think it's very possible that he didn't really want to do it, but this is not a firm report. I don't have good enough sourcing to say this. I don't have three sources, but but I've heard that he was open to considering something with certain drivers and was told, you know, because we've heard the Honda um, phrasing, not directly from Honda, but it's been mentioned in several circles. I've heard it directly and I've read it in other places that, Honda would do an extra engine. What are they at 17 right now? They would do 18 in something like a special circumstance, you know, a Fernando Alonso type circumstance. And then we wondered, well, what is a special circumstance? Some said maybe a Catherine Legg is a special circumstance. I wondered if a James Hinchcliffe uh, with guaranteed TV time as part of the NBC crew was a special circumstance. They may not consider Stefan Wilson 
or some of the others. I wondered if they'd consider Ryan Hunter Ray a special circumstance, but it kind of sounds to me like the drivers you're suggesting, there's no room at the end. We already feel like we are overburdened. We really don't want to add another car. So I think that's what happened to Dale Coyne Racing. I think so too. It's just uh, that would have been one in the past where you would have expected a, an expansion mm-hmm. of their regular season program. So uh, that's why it's interesting in that respect. Um, by the way, people have asked, uh, there is a, I wrote a preview of sorts on IndyCar.com. I'm going to tweet it out here in a minute. It has the full entry list. It has, um, details about you know the standard areas are available for free viewing tomorrow those are the mounds uh inside of turn two uh and the parking lot area in front of the museum 17 honda cars 15 chevrolets uh all this basic information uh, about times and the rookie orientation program so i'll tweet that out uh for for your uh viewing consumption Okay, so that's all coming up tomorrow. Let's get to the Twitter inbox. Indy 500, baby. This is at Kevin Lee 23 and at Kurt Cabin says, is there a list of the drivers doing this test this week? Is TK going to be there? I don't believe the entry list has been released yet. And I alluded to this last hour. I believe two or three teams want to unveil sponsors and liveries and such tomorrow. So that may be why I have not seen, unless it's been posted in the last 30 minutes, I've not seen publicly an entry list. But I believe it's been said publicly in many places that 32 drivers are going to be there. So I feel I can safely tell you that, yes, Tony Kanaan is going to be there because he is confirmed as an entrant and the 32 confirmed car and driver combinations are going to be taking part tomorrow. Uh, going back for a conversation about Al Unzer uh, going for a fifth. Brian at 500 Indy 1911 says there have been 21 attempts, 22 if you count Al Sr.'s DNQ in 94. Voigt came second in 79. Al Sr. finished third twice after 87, including in 92 that I mentioned. And there are no confirmed drivers in May with more than one win who is less than 45 years old. Mears was 39 when he won his fourth. So there have been, let me read that again. There are no confirmed drivers in May with more than one win, less than 45. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Because what we're talking about, Sato and Montoya and Elio. Those are the three with multiple wins, correct? Correct. Dylan... 42-43. We likely won't see any bumping at the Indy 500 this year, but how long until we see bumping at other tracks? Mid-Ohio and Toronto pit lanes are already crowded as is. If there are another one to three cars added on the grid in the next few years, what will happen? It's a great well, discussion, but it, there's not going to be bumping in other races. Well, point is well taken. I mean, one of the news items of of the past week is that Errol McLaren SP is is saying that except for Indianapolis, they're only going to run three cars. Or that's the only place they're going to run three cars this season. You know, they had talked about uh, running three cars later in the season as they gear up toward adding that full time entry in twenty twenty three. So there's one more car, for example, and if Peretta is talking about 
an additional entry. It would not be in combo with Arrow McLaren SP. So you're talking about two more entries. So you could understand, especially at Mid-Ohio, where the pit, pit lane is already narrow and, uh, and shorter than most places, and at Toronto, where they continue to have to kind of make adjustments to the circuit based on the construction in the area. So, you know, this is going to be a challenge, certainly for IndyCar, but, but you're right, they're not going to bump anytime soon. Exactly. There's it. You know, it is concerning, and it's something that Jay Fry and everyone in IndyCar do have to deal with, but short, sweet answer is there's not going to be bumping. The sport is not in a good enough financial sense. The teams, especially the teams that are likely going to get bumped, you, you'd potentially kill those teams. So what would happen is they'd figure something out. It may be clunky. It may not be the best, but they'd figure out a way to create more pit space and or these programs that are doing two or three races in a year behind the scenes, it would be, hey, why don't you do this race instead of that race? Those kind of things could be possibilities. And if they're adamant about it, then you start figuring out some things, um, but you're not outright sending anyone home i don't believe i i don't think that's going to happen uh, are you on the risk of losing that entry uh long term uh from i know i saw some others from the weekend jack's one uh wanted to warn me not to move to los angeles i, I joked about doing last night because of a myriad of reasons i, I don't see that being likely because I don't think I'm going to find a job that pays me three or four times what I'm making, which is what it would take to move out of Indiana to move to Los Angeles. So I feel like I'm pretty safe here. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm with probably that. closer. I'm, I'm closer to it than you are, given that I already have a child living in L.A. You but, could do uh, that. I could do that. By the way, a tweet that uh, irritated me today was was one posted by Scott McLaughlin uh, standing on the number eight tee box, a little video of him hitting a golf ball at uh, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That should have been me. Uh, instead, it was Scott McLaughlin, who, by the way, we talk about this occasionally about golfers and race car drivers. They aren't kind of one and the same. Graham obviously is pretty good. Uh, there have been others. Koski Matsura was one years ago who was pretty good. Scott McLaughlin hits a pretty nice golf ball based on this video. So I couldn't see oh, where I think it landed. He has taken the game up uh, lately and has been very serious about it, and I think he's already gotten to be pretty good. Darren Manning was a really good golfer as well. Very good. Yep. Darren Manning was a hustler. Uh, you had to be, be sure that you weren't, uh, you know, playing him straight up for, for a skin, so to speak, in, in, uh, in a match because uh, you take your money. Uh, Kyle Gregory has another question about racing electronics out. Uh, any updates on radios at IMS for the year? You know, we just talked about that last week. So um, I'm not in the radio business. So I've mentioned it a couple of times. So hopefully whoever, uh, Kurt, put that on your to-do list. At IMS, find okay. out what, what the options are for fans wanting to rent radios. I've mentioned a pretty good option is just simply getting some good earphones to be able to listen to the NTT IndyCar app to get the scanners that way. But I understand that's not the way we've done it. So scanners would be ideal, and you can put really powerful headphones on there that block out noise. At Gav, 
says Roger Penske's comment in the Racer article on adding removing races seems to me a warning Toronto might not be long for the world. So I have to refresh my memory on this. I know what Roger has generally said that we're not really interesting in expanding the schedule. We're not really interesting in going outside of North America. I think in this article he mentioned a number. Here it is. I don't see us gaining four or five races. I think 15 to 18 to 19 is a good place. You'll lose some because some might want to not continue because of the city or wherever you're running it inside the city. Now, on the other hand, the cost of the promoters have gone up. The costs have gone up with teams. So I don't have a crystal ball on how many races we'll have next year, but we're trying to work with the promoters to see what's possible. And this article also states that that Roger still wants to make something happen with Texas Motor Speedway. So Gav's comment, wondering if anything is in peril, I don't know anything, but yeah, if you're just guessing without any basis for it, you're looking at those comments, you're talking city and so forth and how that space has shrunk. If I'm worrying about one, it is Toronto. And I hope that's not the case, but that would be the one that comes to mind first that I can't guarantee that IndyGar is going to be running there for the long term because I don't know what's planned for that space. I don't know if they're building another hotel in the middle of the racetrack in in the next couple of years. Well, not only did it say whatever the city would want to do, but he he mentioned inside the city. You know, that's kind of one and the same, I understand. But that really does draw your attention or your imagination uh, to Toronto more than other places. I mean, you know, where else are we, uh, you know. Well, Nashville is building a new football stadium in three or four years that potentially could impact things. You know, and the one scenario that usually happens is they build the stadium next door and you're short on parking for a little while until they get to a certain point and then they demolish the old stadium. So if it's in the same site, you know, unless they're going to go play at a college stadium for a year and and flat demolish Nissan Stadium, is that what it's currently called? I think so. If they yes. demolish yes. that to build on the same space, but then you still have construction area problems. You're not going to be able to run a race in the year. So it's going to depend on the timing of that build. That might be one that it's a long way away, but that might be one that would have to take a year off or maybe that is a scenario where we keep it together and you you go run at the super speedway for one year just to keep the partners in line and keep momentum going that's for three or four years down the road let's see how the next couple of years go and hopefully that's a problem that needs to be deal with uh dealt with that we've got a race we've got the funding for it it's wildly successful now we need to make sure we have a place to have it well, and Roger has already talked about Detroit going to the downtown streets, so Detroit would not be in that conversation that he's talking about. We know that St. Pete is good, so just by process of elimination, you're already out of cities. Mm-hmm. You're certainly not losing Long Beach uh, based on anything we've heard lately. I mean, we heard those rumors a couple years ago, but those those have uh, gone by the wayside. They just did so, an extension, yeah. Yeah, so I don't I don't see any place else where they run in the city unless I'm unless I'm missing one. Nope, I think that's it. Now, uh, as I've said before, I am hoping that there's a massive crowd there this July because you know, let's face it, they've just kind of been unlocked recently, and the last two summers didn't really exist. So. Canadians may be clamoring for live entertainment, and we may see a nice bump 
in attendance and sponsorship and everything else. And when business is good, then you start to find some scenarios to to make some things happen. So let's wait and see what happens there coming up this year. Uh, one Eugene Ellison asks, since there will be a new hybrid powertrain by 2024, will there be a new chassis before 2024? The DW12 is kind of long in the tooth. So that's a discussion that we've seen uh, internally within the paddock and, and people are talking about, but no, certainly not before 24. And unless something changes, not even by 24, I think the latest plan has been, and there's concern about adding a lot of expense all at one time. So one plan has been to, for lack of a better term, introduce a new chassis and segments where maybe a part of it is new and you're kind of building it on the fly. So I think this is all still TBD, but the last I've heard, unless something has changed in the last few months, we're not going to see a new car in 2024. I'm not smart enough to know what should happen. You know, what, what one concern would be is that these current chassis, yes, they're a dozen years old by that time. And there's still going to be an expense for the teams to fit these new engines. And you've, you're adding a lot more weight to the cars. So there's no perfect scenario here. And in an ideal world, maybe the teams bite the bullet and add another, whatever it is, $100,000 on for a new chassis for 24, 25. And then the other question is, is there even time to get something developed by 24? Because as recently as a year or two ago, that wasn't in the plans. So my guess is we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. I would share your guessing. Okay. All right. Let's get to, I've, I've still got more significant news. So you mentioned Errol McLaren SP and why they're not doing three cars this summer. I think we can explain why coming up in a little bit, but let's talk about our news that we have. So since 2018, we haven't been able to hold a carb night burger bash for a variety of reasons. You took a new job in, 2018, I got busy when NBC took over the 500 in 2019. Uh, we had COVID in 2020, 2021. Jackson is racing on carb night. So we've come up and we've, we've toyed around with these ideas, but never could really make it work. But we have the pieces in place for a return of the Burger Bash on a new night and a new location. So it's not going to be perfect for everyone because it doesn't totally satisfy the out-of-towners. But in some ways, I think it could have some advantages with what we're doing for location and the charity aspect. So the Prime 47 downtown Burger Bash, yes, we already have a title sponsor, is going to be on Monday, May 23rd at the USAC headquarters, a couple of hundred yards from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So this is the Monday after the field is set. There may or may not be a practice that afternoon. I think the schedule is still in flux for Sunday and Monday. I don't know which way that's going to go. But either way, it's going to be an off evening for the drivers. Many of them will stay in town. They'll stay in the bus lot. I am optimistic that we can encourage uh, several of them to maybe quite a few of them to make the half a mile drive over and join us between six and eight 30. We'll do this show live from seven until eight. It will still be a free event like it was in the past, but there is a fundraising 
component. And in full disclosure, the fundraising beneficiary is the title sponsor of the Jackson Lee Racing Program, the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. So we will be raising money for cancer research. Great cause, great local neighbor and partner for so many of us. We hope we never need it. But if we do, it's pretty good to know that this is, I think, one of 47, give or take a one or two comprehensive cancer centers in the United States right in our backyard. Prime 47 is already making a donation to the cancer center. Uh, we're going to add a VIP component to raise some money. So the USAC building was refurbished a few years ago. And if you've not been inside, it's nice. It's got an entertainment area that they rent out and they are donating the space to us to use. So that's where we will sell tickets for, I think, $100 a piece to join us inside with free food from Prime 47. We'll have free refreshments uh, of an adult nature and otherwise inside. Outside, Prime 47 is going to sell their steak burgers, kind of like sliders, I think is what they offer for these kind of events with the money going to the cancer center. Indie Brew Bus does portable beer and wine for events. They're going to handle beer sales with proceeds going uh, and a portion going to the cancer center. Uh, we'll do the raffle like you've always done in the past for some smaller items. And then I've got some nice big items, I think, that should go over well as far as auction items that we'll do online for people that can attend and people that are there. We've got the Lucas Oil School of Racing with a two-day racing school. Those go for $4,000. We've got an IndyCar, Indy Racing Experience two-seater at IMS. I'm told these 12-year-old bottles of Pappy Van Winkle are impossible to buy. And when I Google it, it says $1,600 if you want one. Well, I got one, and, and it's been donated to me, and I'm donating it to the Cancer Center. We're going to do some experiences like we've done in the past, hosting the radio show. We may do an associate sponsorship of uh, Jackson's car with the money going to the Cancer Center. So it's, it's very much a work in progress, but this is kind of the idea. Most important, Kurt, is you're going to be involved in the longtime VP of the Burger Bash. Mark Lynch is also going to help me because I'm going to need it. Well, let's, you know, let's go back to what you said initially, that the challenges of, of doing this on race weekend for a variety of reasons, your schedule, my schedule, the driver's schedule uh, was always a factor uh, once once we, you know, really became invested in these new parts of our career. And I know the Monday night option doesn't suit um out of towners particularly well, and and look, we're we're kind of restarting this program. It it'll have many of the same components. And by the way, if you're outside, uh, it'll still be a great experience. All the action uh, will be taking place outside. The inside portion will be for for the food being free, but and and rubbing elbows with with a lot of big shots. But outside is still going to be the the place uh, that we have the the show, so to speak. So I, I want that to be understood. You know, we're we're in essentially reinvent, reinventing this this uh, this event, and I think it will over the next couple of years. It, it it may take on a new life and a different life. Uh, so you know, trust us that that we're in it not just for uh, helping people uh, who have cancer in their lives, but, uh, you know, we're trying to bring the Indy 500, and this was always the mantra of the Burger Bash, was to bring the, 
the the Indy 500 to the people as best we could. Uh, many people don't don't or can't or want to supplement their experience in Indianapolis at the Motor Speedway, uh, and so this is a way to bring it closer to them without kind of you know being in the middle of all the crowd on race day or or carb day or or what have you. Bring your family. Uh, this is going to be a great event, and uh, we may have some teething issues at, at first because we're learning a new a new footprint, and and we're going to do things a little bit differently. But the core of the Burger Bash will remain the same, and and that's what I'm excited about. When we've talked about this the last few years, and we've openly discussed it, that I have tried to come up with ideas. I even thought about you know a tweet up. Just uh, we're very appreciative that people have supported this radio program and given us a chance to come together. So it's really been the idea of like what you had when you started the Burger Bash in 2008. There was no radio show. It was just, hey, let's come out and gather and talk racing and have a good burger. So that component is still there. So I wanted to do that. And the ability to raise some money for a great cause has helped me find the motivation at a time of year when I don't have a lot of time to go the extra mile and, and make these efforts. And Mark is going to help tremendously. You're helping. We've already got some ideas that we can't speak about yet that we think might be good auction items and might make for kind of a unique experience and a reason that you're going to want to be there. And this, yes, unfortunately for those that only come race weekend doesn't help you, but I know there's some people that like to come in for qualifying and want to stay the week. And if they do have a practice on Monday, then there's another reason. Even if they don't, well, then there, there's something that, that you can do on Monday night. So that's the plan. We'll have more details. I'm going to link on Twitter um, the way that we're going to sell the VIP tickets. We don't have a lot of them. So you might want to get these before they last um, because – the, the cancer center is actually going to buy some of them. Some of their donors are going to be buying some of them. Some of uh, Jackson's other sponsors and partners are going to be buying some. And we're trying to limit the inside to like a hundred people or so. And then, you know, we, we have room for three or 400 or so outside. And if it's bigger than that, we'll deal with that when we, we get to it. But uh, I think the easiest way is going to be a link to Jackson's website uh, on the blog page and donating through our friend Mark Lynch's charitable arm, Basic Needs, Simple Solutions. So you will actually put a donation in there for $100. And I wish that they had so many donations coming in that they wouldn't be able to keep track. But Mark said, no, if I see $100 coming in, I'm going to know what it's for. But there's an email for Mark in there. Or you can email or tweet me. And then we're basically going to have a list. You're going to be on a list. You're going to get a lanyard or a wristband or something that allows you to go in and out. But as you mentioned, Kurt, the show is going to be outside and the VIPs are still going to be hanging out outside because that's where we're going to do the radio show. And we're going to do the program when we're not on the radio. Now, a second component for those of you that only come in race weekend. Here's the second option. We tried this last year, but it poured down rain and I barely got there in time. And it really didn't matter because it was still raining. And they didn't race that night. But we're going to do a Carb Night Classic pre-race party at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park again from 5.30 until 6.30. USF 2000, Jackson Series, races at 7.05, then Indy Pro 2000, then USAC Silver Crown and Midgets. Uh, so we are hoping the weather cooperates this time. This one does require a ticket. 
Uh, I'm going to get a code, I believe, for a discount, so I'll link that here in the next few days. But that's just another option, and the benefit to that is hey, you're not just coming to watch a couple of guys yak. You're going to see four races that night, and seeing the Formula cars on that short track I think is always really cool. Even before Jackson was involved, we always made it a point to go to carb night. So that is just going to be a casual. That's more like a tweet up. We'll see if we can get a driver or two or a personality to come. I think I'll get some of the Indy Lights drivers to come by along with some of the Road to Indy kids, maybe some USAC drivers as well. So those are the plans that we have now for the month of May. There may be another smaller contingent, but those are the big public outings that we have scheduled and more details are coming. All right, over the limit. Let's find out what is happening in the silly season world coming up next already for 23 on Trackside. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. All right, Kurt, a little while ago, uh, you mentioned the news that uh, Zach Brown had, I forget to who, maybe to Racer.com last week, confirmed that they're not going to add a third car after the Indy 500 this year. And that makes a lot of sense because... The conversation last fall when I think Zach talked to the media at the Nashville race and threw that out there and basically said, you know, we want to expand to three eventually. And if it's going to be a young driver joining us in 24, we might run that car a few times in 23. And I, I think that one of his options for 23 for a part time program was Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, I've heard that that was one of the offers that he had and it wasn't full season. And I also suspect it might've included a team option for continuing. So one of the reasons that Kyle would have turned that down if he indeed did was he wanted to make sure that he was fully an unrestricted free agent in 2023 when Andretti Autosport might want him back. So back to that scenario, the only way they're going to run that out there is, I think, if it's to develop someone. Say, for example, Stoffel Van Orn, if he wants to do a few races and is planning to come over in 23. But it sounds like that's not in the planning. And then we see, and we talked about this, I think, on the show last week. You know, everybody seems to agree that that Alexander Rossi is very likely headed somewhere else. And I mentioned Errol McLaren SP. I've mentioned Chip Ganassi racing. What else could be out there? Uh, maybe some others, but those are the ones that kind of come. And there's a big question mark with Ganassi because that would probably be contingent on Jimmy Johnson deciding he didn't want to run full-time next year. And Jenna Fryer writes a story, and I, you you found it for me. I read it several days ago. I haven't looked at it for a little while, but it's kind of buried. Jenna Fryer of the Associated Press writes a story. Was it mostly about Pato Award? Yes. So the yes. headline is, is McLaren planning for a future that includes Pato Award, uh, dated April 15th, which was Friday. And okay. yeah, I, I read part of the story and I was like, okay, yeah, they, they want to run Pato, blah, blah, blah. But deep in the story, and I missed this the first time, you had to point it out to me, that she writes the following. Alexander Rossi is rumored to have signed a contract to leave Andretti Autosport and become McLaren's third driver next season despite conflicting answers from all parties involved. 
at McLaren, Rossi would get a much-needed change of scenery, and as a former Indianapolis 500 champion and seven-race winner, he'd help the organization get its cars where Award and Rosenquist need them. And that's it. I mean, there's no other reference to Alexander in this story. In fact, it's the third paragraph from the bottom. So it was basically buried in this story. So that's a pretty big bombshell. And I will say this, Jenna Fryer is normally correct. And normally in the Associated Press, it's one thing to say something, and, and writers will do this too. They might throw something out on a radio interview, maybe even on Twitter, but writing it in the Associated Press, and, and she didn't outright report it. It was still based as a rumor, So, and it's a new age in journalism. And I'm sure it's changed from what it was when you were first starting in the business that bosses want you to be edgy. They want you to take, am I correct on that? That they encourage, yes, yes, no, they, yeah, they encourage writers to take more chances, be more bold. You don't have to have six sources anymore. Tell us what you think, you know, and we'll trust you on that. I would be surprised if he's actually signed and I'm surprised that she didn't couch it a little bit by saying agreed to terms that kind of covers you to where if it eventually turns out to be right, then you definitely had it. Signing normally is not allowed at this point. And I think Michael Andretti has said in the last couple of days in published reports, he's not allowed to sign anywhere. So I don't know, but he had previously said in St. Pete that, um, yeah, if he finds something good, he can take it. So I don't know where things stand, and Jenna kind of alluded to that as well. I've heard conversation that there was an option or an extension offered last fall, and maybe when that wasn't exercised, maybe he is in a position where he can outright sign right now. Whatever the semantics are, my guess is this is probably going to happen. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, and I saw in a tweet from at Rod Fuller 19, he said the fact that Zach Brown is Michael's friend and business partner makes this outcome all the more likely. No doubt it's been done with Michael's blessing. So I think um, I think it's entirely possible that, yeah, this this has this has been allowed to transpire, whereas in a normal relationship with a contract that a driver has with Andretti Autosport or another team, that there would be times at which he could negotiate with another team. But in this case, I think it's, I think it's very possible. It is pretty well wrapped up. So I'm going to go try to find the racer.com story from this afternoon that had some quotes from Michael Andretti, but it didn't sound like he was openly blessing this deal to happen. Now, here's the conundrum that Michael Andretti has. And after he was pretty open at St. Pete and like, eh, if somebody wants to sign him, you know, we'll wish him the best. We have a great relationship. You know, now let's think about where Michael is at. There's a long way to go in this season, including the most important month. I don't know that you really want everyone to know that one of your marquee drivers is a lame duck and is headed somewhere else. So you'd really prefer that this be kept under wraps for um, what well, least past the Indianapolis 500. Here it is. Andretti shrugs off uh, Rossi to McLaren 
rumors. Speaking with Racer on Monday, Andretti said Zach wouldn't even do that before referencing the clause in Rossi's contract, which prohibits Rossi from making contact with other teams and entering into negotiations until a specific date is reached later in the year. It's status quo from where we were before. We're still evaluating the situation. We'll make a decision on what we want to do later in the year. And Alex is on the same page. He can't talk to any teams or do anything with any teams contract-wise and so we're just hoping things turn around with him and maybe we can keep things going. So those are kind of complete opposites from <laughs> signed are, yeah. to not allowed to talk to. Now, we all know in professional sports, no matter what sport it is, that's difficult to prove. And everyone's talking during the tampering period, but they generally haven't signed. I'll go back to what I originally said. My guess is this is where it's headed, whether it's signed or not. That would surprise me, but I've not been shown the contract. So it's just something to watch. And it's another twist as we head into the month of May, which sort of starts tomorrow. We'll get you set with what we missed and more coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Rian VK, and you're listening to Trackside. Hey, here's something to finish up the show with. The... Um, encouraging numbers in motorsports television. So we've talked about IndyCar ratings. They are moving up. Network television certainly helps, but they've been better than previous network races. NASCAR got big ratings on the dirt this past weekend, over 4 million Sunday night on Fox. The truck race, our buddy Vince Welch and company on Saturday night had 1.2 million or something. So NASCAR ratings up 17%, IndyCar ratings up 34%, F1 ratings up 24%. Good for motorsports. F1 in action this weekend at Imola. We've got the test coming up this weekend. One other note on 33, uh, we mentioned this from a tweet last week. Hey, maybe Dragon Speed somehow gets involved and we combine all those pairings together maybe they are assisting the crew maybe they have some sponsorships so we'll keep an eye on that i'll see if i can do some digging tomorrow uh and thursday to see if we can find something about it, where that's going to land 11 a.m on peacock 10 a.m on uh thursday and kurt there will be uh coverage on indycar.com as well yeah all kinds of places 32 cars on track this week it's exciting times leading up to the 106 running and we'll talk to you next Tuesday night at 7 right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.